1 Corinthians chapter 13, begin reading with verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, I'm reading out of the King James Version. And I want to explain that because before we go any further, uh, the King James Version uses what strong concordance uh, transliterates and labels as G26, which is the word, what we are uh, accustomed to saying agape. It's agape love. And so this word for charity here in the original text, this Greek definitions, is agape. It's agape in the Greek. Now, with the English uh, translations, we simply say agape, but it's agape in the Greek. They're found in, again, the Strong's Concordance, it's translated as love. This word, charity, translated agape or agape, is found referenced as love 86 times in Scripture. In 28 times, it's labeled charity. So these words are interchangeable for the definition is the same because in the original Greek context, the word is agape or agape, speaking of love. So as we read our text, when you see the word charity, if you're reading the King James Version along with us today, if you're using another version, you'll most likely already see that love, the other definition, far more referred to or utilized in the text. Again, 86 times, verses 28 of charity. This, this word can substitute. So as we read, I'm going to substitute the word love where you may be reading in the King James the word charity, but it's the word agape or agape. Although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Charity, or love, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked, nor thinketh no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and it endures all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Notice this transition that Paul, our writer, is is speaking of. He's telling us that Once I learned a thing, once I knew of a greater truth, I could no longer behave as if I had never known. We read in verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But now I know in part, but then in heaven I shall know even as I am known. And now, everybody say now. 
Now abideth faith, hope, agape, these three. But the greatest of these is agape. It's love. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. Now bless both the speaker and the listener. Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would go and be dispatched to wherever the listener is. And may the Spirit of the living Lord, God, remove all doubts, fear, distractions, anxieties, woe, grief, pressures. And just for a few moments, God, may we listen to what you would be speaking unto us today. We thank you for that agape. We thank you for that renewing love. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. John chapter 5, verse 42 says, But I know you, that you have not the love or the agape of God in you. Quite an indictment in his letter. And as again, we're going to talk about John. We're going to talk about Paul. Let's continue our, our brief journey through the book of John. I just read to you John 5 and 42. He says, I know you. You don't have the love of God in you. He moves on in verse Or chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love, agape, one for the other. John 15 and 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Continue in my love. John 15 and 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. And abide in his love. John 15 and 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we know this is Jesus teaching us and speaking unto the people. And he's speaking of himself as he's preparing to lay his life down for us that we might receive pardon from God the Father. We go to Romans chapter 5 and 8 and we find, But God hath commanded his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My district overseer, uh, Brother Ken Bewley, uh, sent out a message this morning to several pastors and received the same scripture, and I was so encouraged in my spirit. I want to read it again because we go in the book of Romans 5 and 8. But God hath commanded his agape, his love, Toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in 835? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? In verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here I've, been, I've given you some examples of John, and we have uh, began with our reading of the Apostle Paul, whom both had God encounters in their life. They went to great lengths to inform us and to educate us on the power of God's love. John was called the one whom Jesus loved. John the Beloved. When Christ was on earth, he probably spent more time with John than any other apostle, including Peter. Do you know why? Well, John was apparently the only apostle not to be martyred. He didn't write his gospel until about 30 years after Christ's death. Later, he wrote his epistles. He also wrote the book of Revelation while he was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. 
John's gospel discusses many foundational and deep subjects the other gospels do not. He was the only writer to explain who the word really was and why his sacrifice should inspire us forever. No gospel writer describes the God family vision as John does. Only John discusses these subjects. The mighty I am and who he really was. The resurrection of Lazarus and how it relates to the incredible human potential of mankind. The Samaritan woman and what she means to all of us in the world. Why Jesus wept and why even most of God's own people can't fully grasp and comprehend the totality of the love of God. John chapter 21 begins by describing a scene after Christ had been crucified and resurrected when his time on earth was just about over. The word had been made flesh. He was persecuted. He was brutally beaten and killed. He had risked losing his eternal life. This was the greatest act of love ever by the Father and the Son. Yet it appears Peter was discouraged and he just wanted to go fish. Other disciples joined him at sea, but they weren't catching any fish. So Christ appeared unto them there on the shore. And though they didn't recognize him at first, when when he instructed them to cast their nets on the other side, of the ship, suddenly they began catching all kinds and matters of fish. This miracle caused John to recognize who they were dealing with and who they were talking to. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord, in verse 7 of chapter 21. At once recognizing that this was the resurrected word, Peter became so emotional that he even dove into the sea. Notice the exchange that followed, however. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Then feed my lambs. It's verse 15. Christ had carried out the ultimate act of love and now he wanted to discuss the disciples' love. Remember, the bride must think like her husband. And this is a deep lesson in God's love. I believe Jesus Christ called unto Peter and called him Simon because Simon was, Peter was acting more like Simon than he was Peter acting like Peter. He wasn't acting like the Peter that Jesus Christ wanted him to be. The stone, the rock, the physical leader of the disciples and the future leader of the church. Peter, now he asked, do you love me more than all of these? Remember what Peter had said not long before this in the text. Though all men shall be the offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Matthew twenty six thirty three. In other words, these other guys may reject you, but oh, Rabbi, Jesus, Messiah, I'll never reject you. Christ then prophesied that Peter would deny him three times that very night. When the prophecy proved true, Peter wept bitterly. And there is no indication in Scripture that he was even present at Christ's crucifixion. Peter was a very depressed man. He didn't live up to his own expectations of himself. He didn't do what he knew God wanted him to do. He didn't 
He struggled with becoming who God wanted him to become. But Jesus Christ wasn't finished with him. And of course, those men didn't have God's Holy Spirit in them at that time. I don't know about you, but I identify with, with, with John's story and the telling of Simon Peter's struggle. For John, too, had his own struggle in, in, at moments. Peter also struggled with, between, between who he wanted to be and who he should be. And who he could not overcome. The old nature versus the new nature. His past versus the prophesied future. In the middle, he's stuck in a now season. He's dealing with the ideology of his past. And he's dealing with the concepts of his future. And he finds himself in the crux of the middle. He's at a crossroad. He is at at an intersection where he must choose to believe and act that God is greater, that God is larger, that God is more significant. And even though he recognizes the frailty of his humanity. He recognizes his own shortcomings. He also knows that down deep inside of him there is something that will not let him go. There is something that will not let him stop. There is something that keeps pressing him to move forward towards God. There is something that calls out to him in the very deepest part of his being that causes him to have a desire to rise up and above. But modern day inconveniences and circumstances and complexities can depress and and negate uh, the spirit of faith that wants to rise up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can relate to Simon Peter here where I said, God, uh, oh, I'll do so much for you. Uh, but, oh, we all get vexed with our humanity as life begins the crushing process of our will. And we're tested. And we remind ourselves uh, that we aren't quite where we wanted to be in God. Uh, but I want to encourage you today uh, that God never gives up on us, his children. He'll never give up upon you. You're significant to him. You're important to him. And his love abounds to you for your life today. Aren't you thankful that God hasn't given up on you yet? Oh, I'm so thankful. He could have and should have given up on me a long time ago. But I praise God today that his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. I'm so thankful that when I've never measured up, he never gave up. When I haven't measured up, He's never given up. And thank you, Lord, that you've never given up on me. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you take just a few seconds and thank the Lord for never giving up on you. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for never giving up on us, God. You're so worthy. We love you, Jesus. Nevertheless, Christ's question made Peter feel very uneasy. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you have the... Love of God for me. In the end, Judas didn't love Christ. Lucifer certainly didn't love Christ. The Laodiceans do not love Christ to this day. But there is a love that will endure to withstand crises. We must have the agape love. A love that is not in human beings except through the Spirit of God. Like many millions in the world, Peter thought he loved God, but he did not. Jesus Christ had just set a marvelous example of law-keeping and love for the disciples. They witnessed that, and they knew something was terribly wrong with themselves. They could contrast what their Savior had just done with the fact that they had all ran away when trouble came. So John concluded his gospel with this lesson. 
He is the only gospel writer who did this. The world doesn't recognize it, but it, it doesn't even ha- doesn't that because it doesn't have that love. Lacking this love, most people betray Christ when pressure comes, when crises comes. It's amazing how the human nature would want to run from God. To run from the establishment of church. To run from the fellowship of like believers. And people begin to handle their crises and their dilemmas and the problems. And they place their hands upon it. Rather than saying, oh God, I need your grace and I need your wisdom. I need your provision. I need your help. Let me encourage you today to not be frustrated with God. For God is not the author of confusion and he's also not the creator of disease. For, for however, this, this humanity... We are going to face dilemmas. We are going to face viruses. We will face COVID-19s. We will face H1N1s. We, ha- we will face pandemics and epidemics. We will know trial. In fact, the Word of God tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. God will be faithful to deliver you. You have to hang on and trust the love of God. He loves you today. He's for you. There's something that John is attempting to relate to us that receiving the love of God is not the same as walking in the love of God. We've got to note this. We've got to catch this. John is endeavoring all and empowering every tool that he has that receiving the love of God is not the same as walking the love of God out in faith. You've got to be reminded that if God loves you and if God be for you, who can be against you? In this season, you will not be dismayed. You will not be forsaken. You're not going to be let down. Sure, you might have measures of crises. Sure, you might have measures of disappointment and sacrifice and adjustment. But folks, God is still on his throne. Heaven is not shaken. Heaven is not consumed with anxiety and worry. But no, he is ever steadfast and sure. And the love of God is available to you. And now it's time to walk confident in his love that if God loves me he's going to take care of me that's where our faith and our is renewed and strengthened <clears throat> being reminded excuse me being reminded of his word and his love for us love is not understood until it's given away and the inversion is also true you can't give away what you don't have it's the love of God that transforms us, that makes us new, that is, empowers us. But love, you will never know that love until you can love somebody who's in a greater, greater need than you. And you, out of your need, and you're out of your necessity, and out of that outflow comes that you have a compassion and you give unto them. That's knowing and walking in the love of God. For most Christians, Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 is the classic story of the conversion of the chiefest of sinners. Jesus himself appears to the rabbi Saul and confronts him. And God reveals himself to Saul in such a way that produces a life of transformation. He teaches Saul about the truth of his resurrection and completely turns his life around. Paul's experience is a clear example of what God can do in the life of every sinner. His conversion is therefore an example of the lavishness of God's grace and mercy. Paul said this, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I I put away childish things. (coughs) Notice the transition here. Once he knew it, He couldn't behave that way anymore. Saul, upon his conversion, 
had his name changed by God from Saul to Paul. This marks a crossroads in his life that unfolds a new direction and a new phase that Saul, now Paul, will have to learn how to conquer. His story is a successful one. We're going to find out today if yours is just as successful. The first phase of that agape addresses our past. Saul had a horrendous past. He persecuted Christians. He would even ensure that their lives would often be taken simply for professing that they believed upon Jesus Christ as being the Messiah. While many of us have done many sinful things and transgressed against God in many different ways and committed acts that would warrant the wrath of God, God in His agape love has come to us to help us to encounter the door of our past. See, we cannot live in our past. We have to live in our now. Romans 8 and 38 and 39 says this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, many of you can't seem to be living in your now because you're spending way too much time living in the past. Jesus gives us the power to overcome our past. While there are three dispensations of time that we must trudge through, there is only one of them that you can live in, and that is you can only live in your now. If your past is bad, I've got good news. In Christ, it's over. You can't change it. You can't undo it. You can't redo it. You cannot change its consequences either. However, if you choose to live in victory now, that is how you correct your past. We've got to live in our now. Some of you have trouble with your past. You see, there's, there's three doors of time. There's an open door of now. There's a closed door of our past. And there's a closed door of our future. I can't see the future. I can't know what's in the future. But I can see it my past and where I have been, but God doesn't want me to live in my past. He wants me to live in my now. Dwelling on my past, yes, learning the lessons from are beneficial, but trying to correct and trying to redo or trying to undo my past is going to be unfruitful. The best way to get victory and to prove you've learned from your past is to do the right thing in your now. You can't control the past. You can't fix the past. You can't manipulate the past. You can't manipulate the future. But however, you can influence both your past and your future by living the love of God now. Choose to live now. Some of you can't love whom God has, God has placed in your life and wants to put in your life because of someone else in your past hurt you too bad, that you're bragging, bringing your past into your now, and you can't accept the good things of God because of your past. It's polluted your mind. It's polluted your way of thinking. It's polluted the revelation power and transformative power of God in your life because you are more endeared to your past than your now. And God says, now, faith.
faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You need to let your past go and live in the grace of God now. Live in the love of God now. Give away pardon now. Go ahead and forgive them now. The thing, Forgive yourself now. The things that you've done and the things that they've done. Forgive it now. Leave it at the altar of God and handle it now. Deal with it now. Walk out the agape love of God in your life now and God will grant you the victory. That's good preaching right there. I've even known some pastors who can't love their congregation and the people of God anymore to the capacity that they used to because of the last church hurt them. I want to encourage you. Live in your now. Live in your right now grace of God. Live in your right now provision of God. Live in the love of God right now. One day at a time. One hour at a time. One moment at a time. Live in your now. Some people know only how to bleed out on people that didn't hurt them. People of their past. But because your past is over and we're living in the now, don't bleed out on people of the now and bring the old the harms and the hurts of the past into your now. Live free today. Be free in Jesus' name to move and live in your now so that you can prepare a better future. Don't be that person. Live in your now. Yesterday is over and tomorrow is coming. Here's the catch. Here's the catch. Watch this. Watch this. Listen to me right here. Here's the point. Not only is me living in my past, destroying my now... It places my future in jeopardy. If I don't get over yesterday, if I don't get over yesteryear, what I have done, and if I don't get over what was done to me and live in my now, my future is at risk. Here's the good news. God forgave and forgot my past, so why do I keep trying to remember it when He refuses to? It's, it's, it's well, all is well when you live in a now kind of faith. I've got to live in my now. You have to live in your now. For it's in my now that he is preparing me for my future. I can't get to my future because the enemy, the accuser, kept identifying me with my past. But my past is my past. And if it's under the blood, it's gone and it's forgotten. Not only is it forgiven, it's forgotten. As far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered against you and I Again, I need to remind you, I need to remind the enemy of his past and how he had the hope of heaven and how he had the glory and splendor of heaven but was removed and banished. He was once a minister of heaven, removed and is now never ever going to be redeemed. But thanks be to God, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm already redeemed. And like like him, I had no access to God, but his agape love, it's restored me. It's given me a hope and a future and an expected end. Listen, I can't live in la-la land of imagined future while I'm living in the now. I have to do the things that I know to do in my now season so that God can prepare me for my future. I've already begun to to hear elements of this. Well, when this is all over, I'm going to church. Well, how how about serving God now? Well, when this is over, I'll, I'll do more for the Lord. Well, how about doing more for the Lord now? You might have to be a little more creative. It might not be in the traditional format. But how about serving God now? How about giving God your heart today, right now, right now at this moment? 
How about instead of just postponing, well, I'm going to do that next week, or I'm going to do that next month, or next year, I hope to, or by a certain amount of time, I hope to have this accomplished. How about starting right now? Just start right now. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation, says the Lord. I can't spend my time wishing I could do my past over. I can't spend my time wishing I had the blessings of what I think my future looks like now. Because either way, I can't handle all of that right now. All I'm called to do is to live in is my now. 